Amen. Welcome. Please be seated. Please be seated. Thank you, team. Sounds great. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke 15. Luke 15, we're just going to jump right in today and read the scripture. So Luke 15, we're going to be looking at the first two verses just to kind of set the context, and then we're going to jump down to verse 11. So Luke 15, verses 1 through 2, and then 11 to the end of the chapter. Uh, Hopefully you have uh, your Bibles with you. If you don't, that's totally fine. It'll be up on the screens as well. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jumping down to verse 11, Jesus continued, that is, telling a parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father said to him and was filled, uh, uh, saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these, year, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, has, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. A very famous and powerful text there that I can't wait to get in with you. Uh, together with you. I'm, I'm really excited to start this new series. We just finished up our vision series over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm excited to get into the series because one of my goals in teaching here at Current is to help us get as best as I can a well-rounded biblical diet. And what I mean by that is kind of covering each of the major sections of the Bible as, as we can in, in turn as best we can, which means I will from time to time look at topical series messages in which case, by the way, I'm still focusing on a given text while I do that. But what I'm mainly trying to do is focus on a book or even a section on the Bible and just kind of work our way through. So if you're here in spring, we were going through the book of James. That's in 
the latter half of the New Testament. Um, and then during the summer, if you were here with us, we went through the Old Testament, the Old Testament being the, book, uh, the, the books that lead up to the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, we worked our way through the book of Proverbs. Well, today we are getting into the gospel accounts or the biographies of Jesus, looking at his life and his ministry, his work uh, while he was here on earth. And the, the series, we're calling it Parables, the parables of Jesus. We're going to be looking at the parables, some of the parables that he taught. Now, in the, in, in the Greek, the word parable really means to compare. It's a way of saying this is like this. It's metaphor. It's why Jesus was always saying the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he'd often launch into a story. In fact, that's probably an easy definition of parable is it's a simple story conveying a spiritual truth. And I figured, hey, if we're going to do a, a series through the parables and look at Jesus' teachings of these stories, why not start with maybe the best of them all? I mean, you can't really say there's a best other than the others because it's Scripture, and I don't know how you, you compare, but if, if nothing else, it's the most famous of all the parables. Um, but what I think is really interesting about this parable, not only in terms of uh, its beauty, in terms of uh, its depth, but in terms of its content, it perhaps as clear as anywhere else in the Bible conveys the gospel, teaches the good news of Jesus, teaches what this whole Bible is about. You want to understand the Bible? You understand God's relationship with you, uh, what it looks like, what it means? Then here's a parable that helps us understand that. And by the way, when Jesus was teaching this parable, he was doing so with both the unbeliever and the believer in mind. In other words, if you are here today and you don't identify as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of God, Jesus is telling this parable in many ways for you. And if, you know, hearing that this parable is about, you know, essentially what the whole Bible is about, it conveys the gospel really clearly. If that's not intriguing enough for, for you, I don't know what it is. Um, so hopefully that'll be something that makes you want to lean in. But for those of you who do identify as followers of Jesus, this parable is also for you. In fact, in many ways, Jesus launched into this parable with you in mind, um, as we'll see here in a moment. And the reason why I stress this at the beginning is I think it's a real easy thing for followers of Jesus to say, oh, the gospel, I got that. Next. Um, but we cannot do that. In fact, Jesus is actually, in, in many ways, sharing the story to help us not do that. So here in this parable, as I've mentioned, it helps you or me, wherever we are on our spiritual journey, understand what it means to follow God and what that looks like, either at the outset or at, on the ongoing uh, basis. So let's look here at first at the, at the context real briefly here. We see that Jesus is talking to two groups of people, okay? That was the first two verses that I read in, in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus. What's important to understand here is, spiritually speaking, these were all the people in that society then that everybody would have thought in terms of people being far from God, being disconnected from God, it's these people, okay? That's what everybody would have thought in terms of these people gathering around Jesus. And so we see this next group of people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these religious people, by the way, the ones everyone in that society would have said, okay, if there's any people that God finds favor with, any people that God is pleased with, it's these people. Well, these religious people muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Uh, Jesus was living in tension. Uh, Jesus, in fact, Jesus was always living in tension. I love it about Jesus. He was always living right in the middle of tension. And what is the tension he's in the middle of here? Well, it's that he was not only claiming to be close to God himself, he was actually claiming to be God and the way to God. And so these religious people who thought they had that all figured out 
are saying, well, how then is he hanging out with these people who are far from God? That's the tension Jesus was living in. That's the tension that launches him into this parable. And note here at the beginning of his parable, he said, there was a man who had two sons. I love that. I think it's really important for us just to kind of pause and take in for, for a minute because if you know this parable, you probably know it as the parable of the prodigal son. There's two sons. It's not just about one, as we'll see. And in many ways, Jesus is actually emphasizing the other as opposed to the, the first. But first, let's work, through, uh, work our way through the story, looking at each of these brothers. So first, the younger brother. It says, the younger man, Jesus telling this story, this parable, uh, came to his father and said, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, that is the father, divided his property between them. Now, what commentators are quick to point out to us is that this was absolute lunacy. I mean, this is just absolutely crazy that this son would have gone to the father and asked for the estate, you know, his inheritance, before the father had passed away is just like, are you kidding? How disgraceful is that? I mean, could you imagine if someone did that today to their parents? Like, oh, let alone in such an honor-based, family-based society as it was back then. Uh, this was just absolutely unthinkable, absolutely disgraceful, dishonoring, and not to mention unloving and selfish on this guy's part. Of course, what Jesus is doing in setting up this text is he's depicting in this story our relationship with God. A central message of the scriptures is that we all choose to go our own way. We all choose to say, you know what, God, I don't care much for you or your ways. I want to do things my way. Thank you very much. But he is our father. He is our maker. He's our provider, and he loves us deeply. You know, in this story, Jesus doesn't spend time to break it down and say, this, and now his father was really hurt. But it was, it, it was heavily implied that this father was deeply, deeply saddened because of the choice of this young man, um, that he would ask for, not even just ask for, demand his inheritance early. But you know what? There's actually something even more unthinkable than the son asking for his inheritance early. The more unthinkable thing here the more mind-boggling thing here is that the dad, in turn, actually gave it to him. So he divided the, his property between them. If your child came to you, parents, or your future child came to you, future parents, how would you respond if they asked for their inheritance early? Like, I mean, play that out. How would you respond? Um, uh, the father could have responded in any number of ways. He could have put this man in his place. Imagine a few of us would have chosen that route. I had to wait till my father was lowered into the ground. You must too. I mean, I don't know what he said. He could have tried appeasement. Your allowance isn't enough. How about we double it, son? Don't go that route. This father could have taken the probationary approach. Hey, I'll give you a half section of the property now. See how you do with that, and we'll go from there. He could have appealed to the remaining shreds of the son's honor and said something like, don't subject our family to such disgrace. He could have said that he was hurt by this and that their relationship didn't mean anything to the son and so on and so forth. But the father didn't respond in any of those ways. The father instead, pained it though it did, decided to divide up the property and let his son choose the course of his own life. Which brings us to the first thought I think we see here that Jesus is teaching. And that is God isn't interested in forcing you to love him. He doesn't want to force you or me to love him. Why not? Because he loves you too much. He, he doesn't want to force you to love him because that isn't love, after all. He doesn't want robotic love. He doesn't want love that's out of some sort of compulsion. He, he wants you to love him out of free choice on your part and mine. Uh, and God gives us the freedom to choose 
the life that we want to live, even if our own choices and our own actions hurt us or get us into trouble. I've lost track of how many times I've had good friends of mine say, say that either something or someone in their lives, a guy, a gal, whatever it might be, um, just like come to me and say, hey, you know, man, I, I, I knew I shouldn't have pursued that, that gal, that guy. I knew it wasn't God's best in my life or what he wanted me to do, but I just I went ahead and did it anyways. And then when things just went poorly, uh, when things went south, oh, it hurts. It, it just, it hurts. And then to hear the very next moment, and where's God at in all of this? Like, it, it, it hurts so much, and do, doesn't he even care? Like, where, where's he at? And, you know, in moments like that, there's so many emotions that are going on, right? And, and, and I first and foremost just want to come alongside my friend in a situation like that, just with empathy and love and care. But, but part of me is wrestling with the thought, and I don't necessarily go there then and, and at that time, but part of me is wrestling with the thought of, you just said in one sense that I shouldn't have chased after this person or this thing because I knew it wasn't what God wants me to do or what he calls me into, and yet I'm upset with him now that it, just, it didn't work out great or that I'm hurting or I'm in pain. Um, God will often send us warning signs or promptings or encouragements to help us choose wisely, to not go down a path that will hurt us. But often, we reject it. Often, we reject Him. And God loves you too much to force you to do otherwise. He doesn't want you to come to Him out of compulsion. He wants you to come to Him out of the free choice of love in your heart. So, we see the father divided the property and let his son go on his way. Verse 13 tells us that, he, that this son set off for a distant country. Uh, in the Greek, it's actually a little bit more interesting than we have in the English. In English, of course, we have the physical understanding. They went off in some distant, distant place, but it's also a figurative meaning in the sense of he was just trying to separate himself from the father as best he could in all manners and forms. And you don't have to have grown up in the church or read the Bible that much, probably to know where Jesus is headed in this story, uh, where, where this, this story is going. At first, the son is living it up, probably having a great time, but it doesn't take just a ton of time, his spending, his lifestyle, his choices, they eventually catch up with him. You know, it's interesting, in the last few weeks, I've had the opportunity to hear a few stories of, of people in the life of the church and outside, um, and it's one of the things I just love in, be, in being a pastor, just getting to hear stories. I just treasure them. They're just so fun to hear and just hear uh, God's goodness to us and the way he takes care of us or is leading potentially in our lives. Well, I heard a couple of stories this week, uh, the, the past few weeks that I thought was really interesting because there's themes in them. Um, independently of each other, these are different, different meetings, different uh, times where I was hanging out with um, these folks. And each person mentioned at one point in their story, and yeah, this is the tar- part in my life, this is the time in my life when I went down the path of just doing things my own way. Um, and you, you know how that goes, is kind of the thought. Actually, they even articulated that. We all know how that turns out. Which, when they said that, again, separate from each other, I thought, wow, that's really interesting. You know, deep down, most of us know where that leads, how that goes. That if we do choose just to live however we're going to live and just cast care to the wind, we deep down know that that leads somewhere, that there are results for that, even consequences. For this younger son, it left him vulnerable, and so when the famine hit the land, he was cooked, and he had no source of income. He was a long way away from home, from family, from friends. He had to do something to make ends meet, so he tried to hire himself out, and he got a job feeding pigs, 
I mean, I love this verse. I don't love it, but you know what I'm saying. It's interesting. He says, longed, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, to Jesus' original hearers, that would have had even richer meaning than we probably take ourselves because in that society, in that time, in that, that reference, pigs were seen as unclean, religiously and otherwise. And so when Jesus is saying this guy was longing to feed himself with, with what the pigs ate, that is about as low as it gets. Jesus, of course, is making the point that this man was desperate, broken, and hopeless, And it's at this point, of course, that the story begins to pivot. The story begins to shift. But here's what I want to notice as we see that Jesus shifts in this story, kind of the the arc towards an upswing. The words in which the story pivots, because I think they're so important, even, even key to understanding much of this parable. In verse 17, here are the words, when he, that is the younger brother, when he came to his senses... These are the pivotal words of the younger son when he came to his senses. Uh, What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying the son in this moment realized and owned the fact that he had been making bad choices. He he was beginning to do what the Bible calls repentance. That is turning away from the things that God calls him, calls us to do, and turning towards God in what he calls us into. It's a heart posture. He came to his senses. There was a shift in his heart, uh, which we'll see is the key for any and all of us when it comes to our relationship with God. He made a shift, realizing owning and owning, God, I've, I've only been living this life. I, I've not been living the life you've called me into. God, I've pushed you out of my life. Will you have me back? This is what the younger son is reasoning, rightly. He's figuring, man, in my father's house, if I can just be rehired as a servant there, It'll be way better than what I've found myself into. Um, he says, so I know what I'll do. I'll go back to him. I'll prepare a little speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Would you just take me back as a servant? That's a prayer of repentance. And so he sets out. He goes back towards home. And check this out. This is my favorite part of the story. Jesus says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Actually, the wording there in, in, the, in the language is actually, it, it, it seems that Jesus is implying that, that the dad tackled him around the neck and was kissing him. You got that picture? But here's what that's not saying. Here's what Jesus didn't say. You know, the younger son, he managed to sneak his way back into the house, and then the father was doing something over here, and he caught wind. He saw his son. He said, I'm going to get you. You know, I'll put my hands around this guy's neck. I'll ring you up. Servants, take this guy out because he can't come back here. Notice that's not what Jesus says. What scholars actually point out is that this dad became undignified in his love for the sake of this son. Uh, We're told that back then in that society, for any grown man, let alone a patriarch of the family like this, to run at all is an undignifying act. So could you imagine being the other people, the servants, whoever was in the household that day when that father started taking off running? That would turn your head. No? What's going on here? Whoa, what's what's going on? That dude can't run, first of all. (laughs) He's like, what's what's going on? And then as you turn your head to notice to whom he's running toward, could you imagine that? Your, Your mind would just be like, what? 
There's just no way. And this is the scandal of grace. This son in no way deserved the father's love. Just no way. I mean, are you kidding? No freaking way. But this is the gospel. Could you imagine how the tax collectors and the sinners were listening to Jesus as he was sharing these words? I find it hard to believe that there was a dry eye among them as they were hearing this story. This is scandalous grace. Um, I have a friend, actually, this is many, many of our stories. In fact, in many ways, it's all of our stories. I had a friend I met out on the, the athletic field. We were coaching together. He found out I was a part of a church startup, and uh, the conversation got a little awkward at that point. He's like, oh, ooh, you know, you're going to be weird on me and all that sort of thing. And I get it. That's how it goes, right? But he actually thought about it for a little bit. He's like, you know what? You know, hey, that's interesting. I, you know, I, he told me a little bit of a story. He said, I grew up in the church. I went when I was a real, real little guy. And, you know, I've always sensed that there's a God and that he, he, he he's, you know, loves me personally, cares for me. But it's been so many years. And if I can be real with you, there's, I've done any number of things where I just feel like I can't go back. In fact, I don't think God would have me back. And I was... And in that moment, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or what, I said, friend, do you realize that Jesus told a story that speaks directly into this? I said, can I tell you a quick story? He said, sure. He wasn't going to say no. He was a <laughs> there was a younger son who went to his father, and he asked for his inheritance. And that was crazy. You don't do that. It was even crazier as the father said yes, and he divided the, the wealth and gave it to him. And the guy went out, and he lived, lived up just in wild living. And he eventually hit rock bottom. He had a good time for a little bit, but he hit rock bottom. He was out there, you know, just trying to figure out what to do in the middle of a famine. He had nowhere to go. And in that place of being at the rock bottom, he just said, you know what, he reasoned, you know what, I can go back to my dad. I can go, I can go, I can go back to him. I can at least be a servant there. And I could say to him, you know, I'll, here's what I'll say to him. I'll go to him, I'll say, Dad, I've messed up. I've really messed up. I've, I've brought disgrace to you. I've just, I don't deserve to be your son anymore. Would you just have me back as a servant? And you know what the coolest part about that story is, friend, that Jesus was telling? Is that when the boy, before he even got close to him, the father just ran out and smothered him with his love. Just didn't even let him finish his whole speech, by the way, that he had prepared. Just covered him, said, get the best robe, get the ring, get new sandals, put it all on him, and kill the fattened calf we're throwing a party. Which, by the way, is a big deal back then. I said... I think I can, I, I can say to you, based on Jesus telling that story, with full confidence that, yeah, God wants you to come back. And he will more than be happy to have you back. And he thought about that for a moment, my friend, there out in the baseball field, and he said, all right, I'll see you Sunday. Best part of that story is he ended up putting his faith in Jesus. This is the gospel, friends. This is, by the way, all of our stories. Not just my friend's story. This is every one of our stories. This is the gospel. Jesus came to the world to love sinners, which incidentally is every one of us, broken people that we are. No one deserves this kind of love from God. It is absolutely scandalous. We just don't deserve it. But it is the love of God. Do you see it? And how it's available to you today? Here's the question for you wherever you're at, by the way, in your spiritual journey, but especially if you're just checking him out, just trying to figure it out. But by the way, also to you, and we'll come back to this in a minute, if you've been following for many years, the question is, are you willing to come to your senses? 
Are you, this is what the gospel asks of each of us. Are you willing, am I willing to recognize and own, God, I don't have my act all together. I, I, I have done and I regularly do things that I'm not proud of and I know you don't care for me to do. And frankly, I don't deserve to even be your servant, but I see, though it seems almost too good to be true, that you make your love available to me, that you receive me in, great, in greater ways than I, than I would ever deserve. So I say thank you. And I give you my praise. I give you my heart. I give you my life. That's the gospel. And it's scandalous. By the way, it doesn't even scratch the surface of what the gospel truly is. Remember, we're talking about parable right now. We're talking about metaphor. This is just something that paints a picture of the beauty and scandalous grace of God. This is a picture of what Jesus came to do for us on the cross. His love spent for us. God's initiated love for us in sending Jesus into the distant country, if we can call heaven to earth distant, I'd say so. But not only that, going to the depths of death in order to bring us life. That's the gospel. That's what the story points towards, the one who's telling it and what he would go to do on the cross. It is scandalous. No one deserves this. But as I mentioned before, Jesus told the story really with two groups of people in mind. And so there's another son. There's another brother, the older son. Um, this scandalous grace was so scandalous, it really tweaked him out. It ticked him off. Uh, he was out in the field uh, when all this was going down. We could almost hearken back to verse 2 and, and think that he was out there muttering to himself. What's going on over there? He asked his servant, what's going on over there? Which I think is interesting because the servant doesn't even have to go back. I, like, I feel like everybody already knows. He probably already knew, but he's just like asking to get information. Um, he's just out there stewing, brooding. And what happens next? Don't miss this. Verse 28. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Um, by this point in the story, I think the way in which Jesus has been telling this story, I think the thrust of what he's shooting for is for our heart response to be rooting for the younger son. Wouldn't you say? The way Jesus has been telling this story, at this point in the story, we're thinking, how cool is it that this son came back? Yeah, let's be joyful. Let's celebrate. This is awesome. Meaning, by this point in the story, we're probably also thinking of this older brother who's just angry and refuses to go in. We're thinking, dude, get a grip right? Like, get over yourself. Go celebrate. Like, this is so meaningful. This is so powerful. Uh, you know what blew me away in my study this week? I, Jesus extends that dude some grace. Loved him. The father in this story could have come out and said, you spoiled little brat. Get in there and eat some, have a party. But he doesn't do that. What does the father do? The father goes out to him. Same thing, by the way. Initiates going out to him and extends his love and says, you got to come back. Your brother who was lost has been found. He was dead and now he's alive. Come and celebrate and share in this joy of our family. Which I think really leads us to what this parable is all about. I don't think this parable is about the prodigal son. I don't think the parable is even about the older son, the, the, the resentful one. This parable is about the father's initiated love, the father's 
grace that he extends to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Whether you're checking out him for the first time, whether you've been following him for years and years and years, this story is about him and his love for you and for me. Uh, Let's think about this practically for a moment. To my Christian friends here today, I would say it's really easy. It is really easy to slip into the mindset and heart posture of this older brother, wouldn't you say? It is really easy to do it. Um, what was the older brother doing here in the story? What was, what was he missing out on when he, sh- you know, when he should have been getting it? What was motivating his life? Let's, let's look at his words. After the father comes out and pleads with him, verse 29, he responds, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours was, who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Here's what we see. At the end of the day, the older brother had fallen into the very grave trap of following God, not for God, but for himself. You see that? The older brother had been following God ultimately, deep down, not for God, but for himself. He was saying to his father here, hey, I've done my part. I've served you. I've been good. I've been moral. I've said my prayers. I've gone to church. I've tithed. I've, I've cared for the needy. And for what? I didn't get a, you didn't hook it up. I didn't get a party. You extended this grace to this other son of yours. Friends, this is so easy to slip into. It's so easy to slip into. What is this? It's, a, it's self-righteousness. It's, it's a motivation of God owes me. It's a sense of entitlement. Maybe we have the banner song of I'm God's herald of what's right and wrong and I need to bestow it on others. It can take many different forms, but what it breathes is bitterness, resentment, moral superiority, a cold heart, and ironically, it distances us from our Heavenly Father. Um, did you notice that? The older son himself was outside. Now, did he go off to some distant country? No. Where was he? Outside in the what? The fields. Isn't that interesting? He was out there being busy. Friends, some of you are really tired. Some of you are feeling weighed down. Maybe it's because of a sense of guilt. Maybe it's because of a a sense of God is, is upset with you because you keep messing up. Maybe it's a sense of, well, you look at others and you get really miffed that they're not measuring up. Uh, whatever the case may be, when we're there, we're there at our own doing, at our own choosing. Uh, this is not my insight. It was, it's someone else's. But it's interesting to note at the end of the story of the two sons who end up ultimately in the party, back with the father. Did you notice there was only one son that we're sure made it back? And that was the younger son. That's kind of a terrifying thought, by the way. Uh, that the older son, we don't know, ever made it back into the party, what happened there. It's worth thinking about. I think it's helpful for us to consider that thought because it helps us understand that spiritual pride easily makes us blind to things that we can miss. Pride is a scary force. Um, It blinds us to what we need need most. Uh, In some ways, I believe that this story that Jesus is telling here uh, helps us understand the key, the very key, to following God. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, you could say that there are two paths that Jesus is laying out here 
when it comes to following him. It, it covers all, all the bases. So on, on the one hand, there's this path, we'll say off to the left here, which is like the, the younger brother. This is the path that says, you know what, I'm just going to do things the way I want to do it. You know what, I don't, I don't care, I'm just going to do that. But what, where this ultimately leads, Jesus says, is emptiness, maybe brokenness, um, hopelessness, asking ourselves, well, is, there's got to be more to life than this, isn't there? Uh, that's one way we can go. Or we can go like the older brother and head off this way. This is, this is the, the path of saying, you know what, God, I'm going to do things for you. But really, underneath the surface, it's I'm going to do things for you provided you do your part for me. Provided you give me your favor, provided you give me your acceptance. problem with this path, Jesus shows us, is it leads to resentment, it leads to bitterness, it leads to lack of joy, and so on and so forth. But what the story shows us is that there's a true north. There's a greater path that the Father invites us into. It's God's grace, it's His initiated love. And what I love about this is Jesus is saying, Wherever we are, there's, a, there's an invitation to this loving freedom in Christ. That we can find our way back to Him based on what He's done and recognizing it's all because of Him. Because if you really want to summarize both of these paths, really this is the, these are both passives of saying, you know, I'm going to choose myself. But this is God saying, you know what, choosing yourself, even through religion or just through living up life however you want to, that's heavy. There's freedom here if you just rest and receive on what I have done for you. And so God comes to you here and me here, by the way, and says, son, daughter, I care what you do. I, I, I call you into this life because I care for you. I want, I want best for you. But just note, note, know that when you even make an inkling move back towards me, I'm going to smother you with love. I'm going I'm to bring you into my arms and just extend my love to you in ways that you can't even imagine. And then if we're doing this, making it about ourselves, serving him or whatever, God says, hey, I care about you doing good things or being a good person. Yes, I care about that. But if that becomes your ultimate thing, if that becomes your driver, recognize, son, daughter over here, that you can't save yourself over there either. That's a weight that you can't lift. So come rest and receive in my love and my grace. Uh, you know, this older son was missing out on the most precious thing that he had available to him right in his face, and that is full access to his father. Um, but he had made this life, even his, his, his relationship with the father, about himself, and he was, he was missing out. You know, as we come now to the Lord's table today as, as in, in worship and we conclude our time together, I invite you to meditate on this, to pray, and consider where you might release or surrender God, where you might come to your senses, even as I do mine. Um, have you been rejecting Him? Maybe altogether, outright. Or maybe in certain areas of your life, you've just been saying, you know what, God, I'm going to do things my way. This is an invitation that when you take a step towards saying, you know what, God, forgive me and I want to move towards you. He just, he just wants to love you. Or if you're moving in this direction, and then note, friends, this is really hard to, to, to see in our lives. Uh, when we're making the relationship about, oh, I just need to read my Bible. Or, oh, I just need to, whatever you might want to put in there. We are putting a weight on ourselves. Um, you know what I'd say about this side real quickly? This side is really hard to notice in our lives. 
But one of the telltale signs, signs of, of, of us going in this direction is when hardship hits us. Um, those of you guys who identify as followers of, of Jesus, when hardship hits you, where does your heart go in those moments? Does your heart in any way go to bitterness, resentment, lack of joy? Um, because in Jesus, there's actually just freedom, even in the midst of the hardest of hard things. And what I've found is when I go in this direction and I find that I'm resentful or bitter or whatever, lacking a joy in hard times, what's underneath it all, your, 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 your pastor wouldn't say this on the surface, but if I do the work in my heart, I'll recognize that I'm actually upset with God. God, where are you? Um, how can we receive the love, initiated love of God the Father in our lives? I want to close with this story. There was a Christian author who was giving a speech at a conference, and he was talking about this book that he had read, written on Christian spirituality. And this is the kind of guy that when you just look at him, okay, let alone when he starts to speak, you can tell this is, a, this is an old, wise, genuine, and thoughtful dude, okay? He was up there, he just started to talk, and he asked the audience this question. He said, imagine you are coming before Jesus, that time when you come before Jesus, because we'll all come before Jesus, what question do you think he'll first ask you? And I got everybody thinking. Of course, this is all conjecture. There's no place in the Bible that says this is the first question I'll ask you. Right? What is the first question I'll ask you? It's a good thought exercise. You know where my mind went? My mind went, maybe, maybe you'd ask David, have you been faithful? Or maybe I'll ask David, have you been obedient? Or David, did you take care of the marginalized? Now, you, you may ask those questions, probably will ask those questions. But this guy, this old wise dude up there, he said, he's not going to ask you any of those questions. As a first, the first question he's going to do is he's going to take you, is your face in his hands. He's going to make you look into his eyes. He's going to call you by name. He's going to say, David, did you get it? David, did you get it? How much I love you. Because I think what we so often do is we make it not about who he is, what he's done for us. We make about what we bring to the table or what we don't bring to the table. But God wants us, and he has done everything, including sending his son to die for us, to bring us into relationship with him. That is the gospel at its very core, that God knows you fully and loves you fully. And when you go off to that distant country, whatever that might mean in your life, even when you're still away, a ways off, but you turn your heart towards him, he comes. Or when you go out into the fields and you busy yourself out there, uh, even when you're still outside, but you, he, he comes. In other words, when you or I make it about ourselves and experience the weight of that, he comes, and he comes with love. Uh, and you can receive that today. You can receive him today, even as we come to the table. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for the, your initiated love in our lives. Lord, not only do we not deserve your love, we don't deserve your pursuit of extending your love towards us. And yet the gospel is this one who told this wonderful, beautiful story that shows us a picture of your love for us is the one who came to earth and ultimately to the cross to die for us. So we say thank you. And the Father, where each of us might need to, quote unquote, come to our senses, where we might need to receive your love in a greater degree today, Lord, would you help us with that? If it's with spiritual pride, Lord, you're the only one who can break that one. Matter of fact, if it's just, you know, us doing what, whatever we want to do, you know, you're the only one who can do that too. So we just, we offer ourselves to you and say, would you please come have us, hold us. 
Lord, we offer you the rest of the day, and we offer you this week as we come to your table now. It's in Jesus' name we pray.